BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Keep your money local. Bring it home to a Wintrust Community Bank, home of Cubs checking with free ATMs nationwide. Find out more at wintrust.com slash Cubs. Member FDIC. Welcome into the Cubs Talk podcast presented by Wintrust. Joined by Tony Andracki and Vinny Duber. I'm Luke Stuckmeyer. Pitchers and catchers officially report to Mesa next week. A bunch of guys likely already there working out. Here's our lineup for today's podcast. In the first half, we're going to talk about the Cubs pitching staff and also some possible rule changes that are being talked about, discussed right now around Major League Baseball. And then in the second half of the podcast, Cubs content producer Eric Strobel is going to bring us an exclusive one-on-one interview with Cubs starter Kyle Hendricks. All right, guys, let's start with these possible rule changes we're hearing from a Ken Rosenthal article that came out today. They're talking about these rule changes right now. Uh, They're discussing them back and forth with the players union. Then sometimes you see them show up in spring training. Let's start with Universal DH, National League taking on the DH. Good or bad? And then the second follow-up question is, how will it impact the Cubs if it happens? I think it's good. I mean, the point I always go back to is it's so silly that there are two different rules in place for two different leagues. I mean, the AFC does not play with an extra defender or something (laughs) like that than the Bears do in the NFC. The Western and Eastern conferences in NHL and NBA, same thing. When you get over to to Europe, English Premier League soccer is still the same and the same level of competition. So it's always been so silly to me. And throughout my entire life, there's been a DH. It's just so weird to see that. And when I was a kid, I could not wrap my head around it. You know, I'm five, six years old learning the game, and I didn't understand why pitchers hit in the National League and not in the American League. And to be honest, I'm 31 now, and I still don't quite understand it. So I think it's good in the sense that they have to do this eventually. This is a move that absolutely has to be done. I don't care, care what the purists say. I don't really care for all these people t- saying that it's going to remove strategy. It has to be uniform, and they would never get rid of the DH and the AL. So, Well, that's the thing. If you're going to go uniform, it has to go this way because the AL's never giving up the DH. Right, Vinny? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I think this is fantastic from a, from a personal standpoint. I know there are a lot of older fans, my father included, who uh, is going to be very upset to see pitchers batting going away. Uh, but, I mean, come on. Every nine batters, you have to watch an automatic out. I want to see some run scoring here. Let's go. Although, on the flip side of it, when a, when a pitcher hits a home run, it is the most exciting part of the game usually. Like when Carlos Sombrano yeah. hit a home run, people went crazy. When Kerry Wood hit one in the postseason, people went crazy. So it can lead to an exciting moment as well as many, many strikeouts. Yeah, it, it can. I mean, uh, Arietta took Bumgarner deep yeah. in 16, right? Um, and, I mean, even in, and then he flexed and ripped off his shirt running around <laughs> yeah. the bases. Yeah, that's exactly how I remember it, too. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, I mean, but even Kyle Hendricks had that bloop earlier in Game 2, I think, of that same series against the Giants. So, you're right, there are definitely exciting moments, but for the most part, as Rosenthal pointed out in his article, pitchers hit 115 last year with an OPS under 300. So you're talking about the the – Position players in the worst slump of their career, they don't even put up numbers this low. So you want to get more action in the game, you get pitchers not hitting. That's the reason I think – I've always been a guy that liked the pitchers hitting, but 
The game has slowed down. You want to see more action. If you want to see more action, have better hitters at the plate. So I'm okay with it now. Now, whether or not it, it, how much it helps the Cubs, I think the instant response for every Cubs fan is sweet. Schwarber's the DH every single game, and no team's going to have a DH like that. Listen, every team's going to have more offense. It's not like the right. Cubs are the only team that get the extra hitter. So, And he improved defensively to the point where he was better than other left fielders, some of them, in the National League. So I don't know how much it improves the Cubs, but I think it it does make the game a little more exciting in that you see better hitters at the plate. What do you think? Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I mean, I think the Cubs are, are set up really well for this, not just because of Schwarber, but like you said, I mean, they, they can't just totally run away from him as an outfielder, but it gives them an opportunity to give 38-year-old Ben Zobris a day off his feet. Anthony Rizzo feels banged up or, you know, maybe he collided knees with somebody running down to first base well all he has to do is hit for four times for a weekend series and they can move Chris Bryant over and slot him in him in at first for a couple of games they can get guys off their feet and they are set up really well for this because they have so many position players but they wouldn't have to necessarily go out and sign somebody like a lot of other National League teams would have to do well it would be kind of nice if the teams would have known this at the winter meetings yeah. if these that's why I wish these rules would be decided before this uh, because when we get to the pitchers, that, that also is you know, relievers. Certain guys are more valuable than others if you start taking out and forcing guys to face three batters. That's the next rule. Potentially talking about having a pitcher that comes in have to face a minimum of three batters, correct? Yeah. I mean, now they're trying to pick up the pace of games so you're not going lefty, right, and constantly going to the bullpen. To me, the better way to speed that up is when you come into the game, there's no – you could have one pitch if you want – but there shouldn't be a warm-up when you get to the mound. That's a good point. A pinch hitter doesn't come in and say, you know what, give me a couple of hacks. Give me a couple <laughs> uh, give me a couple swings at some softballs up here. How funny would that look? <laughs> I, I, I just don't get it. If the guy's not ready you. to come in, then he's not ready to come in. Yeah, the, and the NFL, NFL quarterback doesn't get out to the field and ha, you know throw a couple routes like, hey, run a slant for right. me, Allen Robinson, while Crazy. You know, Chase Daniels out We there. spend five minutes watching guys warm up. It's different when a pitcher is hurt and you have to bring a guy in. When you know you might go to it, it's stupid. So what do you think about the three-batter thing? Then? The three-batter thing seems kind of arbitrary. It seems like kind of an arbitrary number. I mean, like you're assuming then that the guy's going to come in and get all those guys out, right? I mean, that's kind of where you're, that's where you're picking yeah. three from. Uh, I, I think that it's kind of unfair to the managers and the teams. I mean, you, want, you should be able to have the option to put in a better pitcher, a pitcher who's going to give you a better chance to get out of the inning or to, or to get the batter out. That's the whole point of the game. That It seems like that's unfair to those teams. That being said, I've sat through plenty of mid-August innings where there have been four pitching changes, and I'm like, all right, come on, I want to get on with my life here. So I can see where the people who are proposing that rule change are coming from. That being said, it just kind of feels unfair to the to the teams to me. I think if you shrink the amount of pitchers, it helps, but then you also you don't want position players pitching in an 18-inning game all the time. Now, the problem with the three batters for me isn't I, my problem is that if you go three batters, what if the guy, what if C.J. Edwards comes in and he throws four straight balls? I'm not taking him out because he's a righty or lefty. I'm taking him out because he can't find the plate. Right. right. And well, and and here's two. Say the guy comes in. Uh, you know, there's runners on base. It gives up a grand slam. Now it's a now it's a uh, a lopsided score, and those games can be even longer than the ones that are close, where you're making all the pitching changes. Or what if he comes in with the bases loaded, gets a double play ball? So he only still faces one batter, and then his spot comes up in the batting order, and you want to take him out, but you can't because he only faced one batter. Yeah. There's a lot of different things. The, the injury component, I mean, if, if a guy goes out and tweaks his hamstring, 
do you take him out? And then if you take him out before facing three batters, do you have to put him on the DL? Otherwise, it doesn't count. Or can you just claim injury whenever you want? And then that's the loophole around it. The way the Dodgers use the 10-day DL as a loophole to, to cycle pitchers through. I mean, there's so many questions that come with it. I still think a better way to speed up the game is less pitchers. If you have less pitchers, they're going to have to use them for a certain amount of time. And then, you know, I'm not sure what the other one, the pitch count, the timer thing, they've talked about even taking that to 20. I'm totally fine with that, but then hold them to it because it had no impact last year. I don't know one team that was penalized because they made too many trips to the mound, because they were taking too long on the mound. I think if you actually put a clock like a shot clock on there, for me, 15 seconds is good. Between As soon as that pitcher catches the ball, he's got 15 seconds to throw that thing. The batter shouldn't be stepping in and out all the time. I know I'm sounding old here, but that's <laughs> no, I'm you're sick right. of watching guys adjust their batting gloves well, hey, in between every on. single But pitch. Nomar Garcia Parra, come <laughs> oh, on, that's classic. Nomar, he drove me crazy. <laughs> How about roster size? So going to 26 players creates 30 more jobs, but you're limiting pitchers to 12. Is that a good idea? Yeah, that's really interesting because, as you talked about limiting pitchers, even if, with a 25-man roster, so many teams right now have eight-man bullpens. That's a 13-man pitching staff with only 25. So you add another roster spot, but take away – a pitching spot. So you're basically adding two position players. That seems a little odd to me. Um, I think at some point last year, every single team had a 13-man pitching staff for a week or two at a time. I know the Cubs, I think they spent all year doing it uh, up until September. So the 12-pitcher seems weird, but I, I do see 26-man roster coming at some point. It may be not 2019 but eventually and I think it's going to be a lot more guys like Terrence Gore like Joe Madden always talked about it last year what he could do with Terrence Gore all season would be fascinating and it really would and you I mean that would bring action to the game yes you're pinch running for Rizzo or something at some point but you have a speed guy out there who can steal a base who can tie a game for you like we saw in the wild card game it'd be really cool to see those guys get more of an opportunity even if they're just like specialists we have Loogie specialist pitchers just facing left-handed hitters get a get a running specialist. Yeah, and it, it actually seems interesting when we're talking about in the same conversation a 26-man roster, but there's a DH involved. You know, in the National League, the deep bench is helpful when you've got to pinch hit for the pitcher two, three times in the same game, or, or a number right. of pitchers two or three times in the same game. If you have a DH. You could conceivably say, if all my starting players are good enough, that I don't need to pinch hit for anybody at all the entire game. Right. Uh, what are those benches going to look like? And if we're expanding the roster, why are we adding another position player when we're not going to be pinch hitting as much? We'll see how many of these actually make it to spring training and then make it to opening day. But it's always interesting this time of year to see what at least baseball's thinking about moving forward and trying to change the game a little bit. Uh, so we just talked about pitchers. Let's talk about the Cubs pitching staff because we're going to have the interview with Kyle Hendricks coming up after the break. Lester, Hendricks, Hamels, Darvish, Quintana. I'm not even sure what order I would list that from one to five when you're talking about your rotation. Last year about this time or right before the season, I put an article on NBCSportsChicago.com sort of just asking the question that on paper could that Cubs pitching staff have been maybe one of the best in Chicago baseball history. Now, when we looked back at it, you looked at some of the teams, I think everybody agreed, no, 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 no. You're never going to top what the Cubs had in 2016. Uh, the White Sox, if you're talking about just the postseason in 05, had a team that was, you know, in postseason-wise, that's the pinnacle of what you could do. Where does this group of five, last year's group didn't turn out very successful, a lot of injuries. 
if this f- group of five is healthy, is there a five that you would take in baseball over them? One through five. You know, talking about no matter who the five are, if let's say Quintana is your fifth starter. I mean, Sox fans sold me on the fact that this guy was a number one. Now we're talking about him as being a potential number five starter in the Cubs rotation. Yeah, I mean, the point you made about last year, I think hindsight is twenty twenty, but I was with you at that point. It was they, This Cubs rotation was at least in the conversation going into spring training. I mean, in 2016, we didn't know Kyle Hendricks was going to be an ERA or uh, ERA winner and NL Cy Young finalist. And this group too could too, Tony. I, it I mean, could, yeah. I'm, I'm just asking the question. If you look at these guys and say they're all healthy and going to be at the peak of their game, you would say, wow, I don't know who's going to compete with that. Well, let's just say, yeah. let's just say this. You were very excited, and I think rightfully so, for what that rotation looked like at, uh, at this time or about this time last year. Now you're replacing Tyler Chetwood with Cole Hamels. Right. It looks better. It yeah. looks better. And obviously, you know, you Darvish had the 2018 that he had, but if he can come back and, and give you, you know, what he's got a track record of doing, plus you had Cole Hamels in there over a guy in Chatwood who, you know, you were happy about, but he wasn't a star. Hamels has been a star, and you're talking about five guys who who are all-star caliber at when they're at their peak. Five guys that are all-stars and have been either a one or a two on a pitching staff throughout their career. So that will be interesting. So who would you say – is the ace of the staff. I think Tony and I agree that not everybody will say this, but I still think Kyle Hendricks is the ace of the staff. I do agree with you still. Uh, I, Hendricks is the guy that if I have to win just one game, I'm giving him the ball. But there is like a 1A, 1B. I mean, John Lester proved that last year in the wildcard game. And he's he's had an up and down couple of years since the World Series, both 17 and 18. He had trying moments in him. Obviously, he's still shown that he can do it, but this is going to be his age 34 season. He's definitely getting up there. I'm wondering when he falls off a cliff, so to speak, when all the innings catch up to him and he just can't find the consistency that he somehow was even able to find in 17 and 18. We thought it was going to be potentially last year. Of those five guys, Vinny, I look at and I say, well, if I had to start one game, Darvish and Quintana would be the two that I would take off the list and it'd be one of the other three. But Darvish may have the best one-game potential out of those guys if he's healthy and has his nasty stuff working. Like, I, I don't know what the answer is. Who, who would be your ace of the staff? Uh, to me, it would depend on when that one game takes yeah. place. And if it's October, I'm taking John Lester. I mean, watching what he did in the wild card game last year was sensational. Uh, he had a, a tremendous first half last year, and it was uh, great to see him at the All-Star game and, and, and be represented there uh, for what he did in the first half. Uh, he's got a track record that is just so great that you can't turn away from it. And, and you see guys who are getting up there in age who still, when you put them on that big stage, flourish. He's one of them. Verlander's one of them. Uh, you know, if, if that game, if that one game to win is in October. I still want Lester, and I think he's still the ace for that reason, even if Hendricks might give you a more consistent performance over the course of the year. Well, and it's funny, too, though. I mean, you guys were there last year when when we were talking about this, when Darvish was introduced. There was actual talk of whether Darvish was the Cubs' ace. Yeah. I mean, a year ago. Right. To, to think that now in hindsight is wacky, but there is a very real possibility where he becomes the Cubs' ace this year and moving forward. He's certainly being paid like one. And he still could be because you have barely seen what he's able to right. do. I mean, he barely pitched last year. He, 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 as well as Chris Bryant, could be their big offseason addition this, this winter. And he's put out that he feels more confident this year than he did last year, which I guess is a good thing because confidence was clearly an issue for him coming over to the Cubs. So how many games will Montgomery start and will Chatwood start any games this season? 
I believe Chadwood will start just because crazy things happen. I mean, we didn't really anticipate Cole Hamels being on the Cubs, let alone being a central figure in this rotation the way he was. So I think Chadwood will start a handful of games. I think Montgomery will start 10. I feel like that's always a good number for him going into a season that he'll probably end up starting at least 10 because at some point the Cubs will either go to a six-man rotation if they have a long stretch, which they do have another one coming up in August and September this year, or they're just going to give a guy a break on, on the on skip one of his starts because of a shoulder injury or so on. So I think Montgomery is the first guy up, but Chatwood's kind of that emergency guy if they, for some reason, can't move him, which it doesn't look like they'll be able to this winter. <laughs> and then we have also have uh, Adbert Alzale. We'll see if, how he factors into the Cubs team so far uh, this season. Guys, thanks for jumping on. Appreciate it. Up next on the Cubs Talk podcast presented by Wintrust, Eric Strobel talks to Kyle Hendricks. And our stats cruncher, Chris Kampka, crashes the interview with a Hendricks stat that even the professor was stunned at. We'll be right back. Cubs authentic fans. The My Teams app by NBC Sports is your home for Cubs highlights, articles, and more. For the best Cubs coverage anytime, anywhere, download the My Teams app today. Welcome back to the podcast. Kyle Hendricks just missed out on 200 innings for the Cubs last season for the first time in his career, finishing with 199. He did, however, make a career-high 33 starts, picking up 14 wins. And the professor sat down with our Eric Strobel for this one-on-one interview. I think we got to start uh, where things ended yep. last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of things have gone right for the team over the last three, four, five years. But the end of last season was some of the first true uh, disappointment you guys have faced. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's a different disappointment in you know, one and done than losing in the, in the NLCS. Mm-hmm. But what was, you know, to take us through the mindset that you and others were kind of feeling over that. I think uh, I went back and listened on the, to our locker room feed, and you were saying we did not expect to mm-hmm. be here. Yeah. And what, what did you guys learn from that? What have you internalized as kind of motivation going forward in 2019? Yeah, you know, I think we learned a lot from it. Um, that the expectations are great and the expectations to win, but uh, just, you know, how to just focus more on that inside group even more so. Just drown out the noise focus on what we're doing. I think we got a little caught up. Uh, we dealt with a lot of adversity last year, though, also. So we, we went through a lot as a group and, and went through some tough times. And I think getting through those, you learn a lot about yourself. But of course, where we've been the last few years before that, um, 95 wins is great in the regular season, but our focus is always postseason and making a long run there. So yeah, like you said, to just be one and done that quick, it was very, very unexpected. And it almost it felt a little bit like in 15 getting swept kind of, but, but different in so many ways because 15 was my first experience feeling anything that bad. Um, and then, like you said, we had so much success the couple of years following that. Um, so it was just, it was a different kind of disappointment just being so quick, not making it far at all, not making a run. So I think a lot of guys internalized that. Um, the off season has been dragging on. It's been a long off season. So I know guys have been working hard and just really have the itch. Guys really just want to get to camp, get on the field, and start playing again. Uh, last season, for you personally, you had a bit of a rough first half, a lot of home runs, a lot of fighting your control a little bit, more for your, relative yeah. to you anyway. Yeah. But you made some mechanical adjustments, uh, specifically with the changeup, I believe, uh, midway through the season, and were just, you, were, you were your normal yeah. self in the second half of the season. Uh, take us through that process, and then how you know are you confident that you've you have it under control and you're ready to rock here in 2019? Yeah, for sure. Uh, that that's the whole thing is it's a process. It always is. Every year is different, um, and like I said before, you learn so much about yourself every year. Um, 
So I learned a lot. I was struggling at the beginning of the year, but I've been through struggles before in the big leagues. 15, I kind of had the same path. I had a very tough first half of the year and came on stronger at the end. Um, so I just I was working hard on watching video, throwing a little bit extra in my bullpens, doing anything really, extra dry work to just get that feeling going. I'm such a feel-oriented pitcher to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, but once after the All-Star break kind of, uh, it just kind of clicked. The feeling was there. I saw the ball coming out of my hand better, had better angle. Everything was working off of each other, all my pitches. Um, and once I had that, then I was good to go. Like you said, I was able to roll and have a strong second half. So. It may, I adjusted my offseason plan just a hair. Um, usually I would just get away and really not even move the arm. Just, you know, rest it, obviously work out and do all that, but no throwing you know, for a long time. And this year I, I did a lot of mirror work and stuff like that and just wanted to keep those same feelings I had at the end of the season. Um, I think it helped a lot getting into my throwing program this year. I started throwing in December and I had a lot of those same feelings that I had at the end of the year. And for me, the sooner I can get into my mechanics and have those good feelings, I'm, I'm, I think one of my strengths is just repeating. So I can repeat my mechanics once I have it set. So it's feeling really good early right now. And so my goal is just to get in my mechanics as soon as I can and hopefully ride that momentum that I had at the end of the season last and, year. And when you have to make adjustments, either whether it's mid-season or off-season, whatever, what have you, uh, the pitching coach is obviously a big part of that. Obviously, we're now on our, you are on your <laughs> third pitching coach in three seasons now. But it's one that you have some familiarity with and mm -hmm. Tommy Hadovy. Tell us about your relationship with him prior to this season and how you think that's going to change or not change uh, going forward into this year with him as your pitching coach. Yeah, I don't think the relationship is going to change much at all. You know, Tommy, we've been doing it all behind the scenes already. Um, he can't, we have a couple pitching coaches. It's really a group effort. And so, like you said, Tommy has been around and he knows all the guys. There's a comfortability factor with him. And we know what Tommy brings. Uh, he's a hard worker. He's in there early. Um, but he's also done a lot of different things. Uh, he worked a lot on the game planning and the advanced scouting stuff so he can break down hitters and how to attack hitters, but he can also sit there and go through the video and help you with mechanical stuff, you know, comparing and contrasting when you're good, when you're bad. So I think he just brings a well-rounded view to it, but he works so well with the group that he really doesn't have an ego. He just wants to be there to help as much as he can, you know, and help each individual guy. Um, with whatever they'll need. So it's going to be an awesome opportunity for him, and we're really excited just to have someone that we really know and we trust that we can lean on now. And Theo and Jed obviously trust him quite a bit to give him such a you know, huge opportunity at a relatively young age. And he was, I believe he just finished pitching a, f a few years ago mm -hmm. before joining up with you guys. Uh, sticking with the front office, uh, they, they've, there was some thought that maybe they would make more of a bigger splash in the offseason, but mm -hmm. they've made a couple minor moves short up some things here and there. Obviously, the pitching coach, hitting coach changes, staff changes. But they really made a commitment to stick with the quote-unquote core guys, the guys like yourself who have taken the Cubs to the mountaintop. They've been there. They know what it takes. What does that say to you about their faith in you, and what kind of responsibility does that put on you and the other shoulders to kind of get back to where you know you can get to? Yeah, I think uh, we put a lot of responsibility on ourselves to begin with. You know, We, we know what this group is capable, capable of because we've seen it and we've done it. And... Uh, we've been through so many trials and tribulations that we really we are a close-knit group and we really trust each other and we, we play for the guy next to us you know it's it's a family feel in there and Joe really creates that environment for us so yeah like you said we there weren't any big splashes maybe but I don't know what needs to be done I mean we have we have all the pieces we need I don't know where improvements can really be made you look around the field you look at the staff anywhere um, it just really comes down to execution so hopefully injuries always play a part so hopefully having a healthy year, um, if everyone could just be healthy, 
I like our chances already, but then it just comes down to execution. And, and we have a lot of trust in our guys and, and their ability to execute. So I'm just, I'm excited to get out on the field and really just, you know, let the product show for itself out there. You mentioned the starting staff. Uh, I think there was a vision for it going into last season, never quite coalesced, whether that was because mm -hmm. of uh, some early season struggles, whether you, you know, you Darvish's uh, injury situation, keeping him off the field for most of the season. Assuming good health, which you can never really do, but in a, in a perfect world, what is the, your staff, your starting staff, capable of? Oh, man. Like, you just look at it on paper, like you said. I mean, health, health aside, uh, there's not much better five out there. Um, and last year, last year we had the pieces there as well, but like you said, we just got off to a tough start. It was kind of a sluggish, slow start for the whole group. Uh, really until Cole kind of showed up and Hamels, he, he brought just a new energy and it was awesome just getting to talk to him and learn from a guy that had been through so much in the postseason as well as the regular season. Uh, just had a lot of years under his belt. So we learned a lot from him and he brought a lot of just new energy for us and really kickstarted us. So I think just having him, he's a big part of the group and having him going forward to start the year this year, hopefully we can just have that feeling all come together. And we like to, you know, take the burden upon ourselves to pitch deep in ball games and, you know, hopefully turn leads over late to our bullpen. That's, we take pride in that. So as a group, we're just hoping that we can get in that groove early. Uh, really not, not worry about the slow start from last year. Focus on what we were doing at the end of the year, the momentum we had with Cole. Hopefully we'll have you and all the health, and I think this group can really go far. We talked to Cole a little bit earlier today and uh, asked him about the starting staff, and he mentioned that there might be a little bit of friendly competition between mm -hmm. the five of you. Uh, just watching what you know he's doing one day and you're going the next, that, that might just amp you up to, to match what he does or exceed it. Do you think that might play a role, just you, you all trying to better each other, so to speak? Yeah, 100%. Um, all the best groups I've been a part of, they're the best teams, that's what they do. It's, it's friendly competition, you have to push each other, never in a bad way. You know, you're making each other better. And I think this group really does have that. It starts with John. I mean, Lester, he's been the guy for us at the top always. And he, he sets the precedent, and when he goes out there and does what he does, you can't help but want to live up to that. So. I've been following him for a few years now, and Cole's really the same way. The work he puts in behind the scenes, and you know the effort he's giving when, you, when he goes out there, and the whole team knows it. So it's something I really learn from, and yeah, we push each other. You see a guy go out there, go seven shutout, you want to go do that as well. You know, you don't want to be the weak link in a way. So it's always good, friendly competition, and especially with the guys that we have. Going back to you now for a second, looking a little more big picture, entering your sixth season with the Cubs. Been a very eventful six years, <laughs> both for you and for the franchise. But if you, can, if you take a step back and look at your career arc the way you see it, where do you see yourself in your career arc right now or your development as yeah. a pitcher? I mean, I still feel very young. You know, six years, it, it sounds crazy that it's been really that long already. Like you said, there have been a lot of experiences, a lot of ups and downs, a lot more ups and downs, thank God. Um, but it, it's been a crazy ride. And so I really, <laughs> it's hard to sit back and really see where you're at in a way. I'm just so focused on day to day. And, you know, the year that I have ahead of me right now, um, I feel like I'm still very young and at the beginning of my career. And I love Chicago so much that the, the fans and the city, that it's been an awesome opportunity just to be able to play here. Very good. Uh, looking at the division, going to be a lot tougher NL Central this season. Obviously, it was tough enough last year, but now the Cardinals have added Paul Goldschmidt. The Reds have made some additions. The Pirates have, are never going anywhere. The Brewers, obviously, defending champs, and the Cubs are... I'm not going anywhere either. What uh, do you think playing in a, I think Chris Bryant yesterday talked about, you want to dominate 
the best teams mm -hmm. in the regular season, and you're going to get a chance to go up against some very strong divisional opponents 19 times apiece this year. Do you think playing in a uh, rough-and-tumble division might help toughen you guys, not toughen you yeah. up, but kind of callous you a little bit as you get towards October? Yeah, I think you know, it's just playing against the best competition. The better competition you play against, it's just going to make you better. That's how it is. So, yeah, we, I think our division is the best in baseball from top to bottom. Uh, five really strong teams, and anyone could be in it, really. Mm -hmm. um, so it's going to be really fun to go up against those guys uh, the number of times that we do. And I think, it's like I said, it's going to make us better. Playing against the best teams, um, especially playing against them that amount of times, you have to learn how to beat them in a lot of different ways playing that many games against them. So hopefully it can just get us ready. Um, but like I said, our focus is on coming out on top, number one, trusting the guys that we have, and then making that late run in the postseason. So if that can just get us ready for that, that would be awesome. Yeah. I got a trivia question for you. Uh, we have a, our director of research back at the office, uh, Chris Kampka, okay. who uh, actually just got uh, some props from Ken Rosenthal the other day for a stat he threw out there about Craig Kimbrell. But I want to know if you remember the last wild pitch you threw. Whew. That is a really tough one. The last wild pitch I threw. I don't think there were any last year. So let's see, 17th. I'm going to go sometime in 2016. That, that would be the correct. last one. It I was. don't know what month. It was September 5th, 2016. Really? Bottom of the 6th at Miller Park to Kirk Neuenheis. Really? Yes. <laughs> Who was you, catching, more importantly? That's, that's a good <laughs> question. I, we should go look that up. I don't have that information. We should look that up. Oh, good. But the, you have thrown 6,374 consecutive pitches without a wild pitch. Wow. Okay, you now I'm jinxed. So for your first pitch, <laughs> blame us. I'll get uh, it out of the way. 764 wow. different pitchers have thrown a wild pitch in that span. And you That's have wild. seen more wild pitches as a batter than you have thrown. <laughs> I like that, that one the best. I like that one the best. That is, that's a crazy stat. Honestly, so that's our guy. That's Chris Kampf. We that's wanted to see awesome. if, if he I, could stump you. I would have had no clue. That was honestly, it was a, a guess, straight guess. So get him out of the way <laughs> in, in, in Mesa. Exactly. I I'll get him out of the way in Mesa. Yeah, let's see if I can keep the streak going. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Cubs Talk podcast presented by Wintrust coming up on Friday, the 8th of February. Another new edition of the podcast will drop. It will include an exclusive one-on-one -on -one interview with Javi Baez, who hopes to be even better in 2019. We'll see you then.